Is there any public comment on closed session items? No public comment, Madam Mayor. Then we will recess to closed session. Welcome and thank you all for coming. We will reconvene the regular meetings of the Palm Desert City Council, successor agency to the Palm Desert Redevelopment Agency and Housing Authority. May we have the roll call? Councilmember Harnick. Here. Councilmember Nestandi. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. Present. Councilmember Truby. Here. Mayor Kelly. Here. All councils present. Uh, we are very pleased uh, to welcome uh, someone special who will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, Shay Faulkner, who is Vice President of Family YMCA of the Desert Youth and Government Delegation, and that will be followed uh, by words of inspiration from Councilmember Troopy. So yes, Ms. Faulkner. Um, please rise and place your right hand over your heart. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, welcome everybody and thank you for coming. Um, my inspirational words today are brief, but to me, uh, thought-provoking, I hope. Um, is attributed to Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. But in my mind, the, the sentiments are timeless. And it says simply, whatever is done well is done with speed enough. And that's all. Thank you. Is there any report from closed session? Uh, yes, Mayor, thank you. Um, the council considered the items on the closed session agenda um, at 3 p.m. and on item B1, there was um, unanimous direction to the city manager to finalize the land exchange um, agreement that was proposed, and that was the only reportable item from this afternoon. Thank you. I wanted to let you all know that we have issued a proclamation designating uh, the week of June 19th through June 25th uh, Palm Desert Pollinator Week. This is an issue of critical importance because losses over the past few decades have really uh, threatened our food supply. So I encourage you to uh, use your favorite search engine and learn what you can plant uh, to help sustain our pollinator populations. Uh, we are pleased to welcome 
um, representatives from the YMCA for a presentation and update. Ms. Paula Simons. All right, well, good afternoon, uh, Madam Mayor, esteemed council members and city um, staff and our community. I really want to uh, thank you for this opportunity to um, be in front of you and share a little bit about the state of our YMCA. I am visiting uh, our locations in the valley where we have facilities, which started with the city of La Quinta and then city of Indio and now finishing up here in the city of Palm Desert. So I would like to take this opportunity to reintroduce Shay and she's gonna share a little bit Bit about our youth and government program and um, take it over Shay. Um, so I am vice president of youth and government and the program is really fun I really like personally the opportunities we get like we go on a trip to Camp Roberts and Sacramento and we get to go and see the Capitol and because we all have our own little like programs that we're in um, I also really like meeting new people because with youth and government, it's YMCA's all throughout California. And I still talk to the people I met at those locations and they're super fun. And it's just a really nice place for like high schoolers to just share their opinions and be open with each other and like bond with other people and it's really nice, so. Anybody have any questions at this time for Shay? Questions from council? I have a quick one. Have you gone up to Sacramento and gotten involved in the, the legislative process? Uh, yes, I have. Can, we went in Can you tell us, and I, and I think everybody here would love to hear a little bit about it. Uh, so they have people who run like programs. Like for example, there's like last year I did National Assembly, which was like you do a project on that and there's also like a Supreme Court and media which kids go in um, and you go into the Capitol and you have meetings where actual like Congress people go in there and it's really exciting and yeah you're really independent like you have you're given a schedule on your meetings and all your stuff like that and you just follow that and it's really exciting. Uh -huh. Yes, Councilmember Truby. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, is this uh, program available to all local high school students or is it limited to just Palm Desert High School or? Uh, no, anyone can join in the Valley from anywhere. So we have people who like, for example, lots of times schools are involved. Like a lot of people who were in it this year were from Palm Desert High School, but there were some people like with our YMCA who were from Shadow Hills or La Quinta, just anyone can go. And it's really nice. Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. Thank you. I've heard it's a wonderful and exciting program. So my question to you is what was the skill that you think you will use most frequently that stays with you in the years to come? Uh, probably the just knowing what like government is. Like before I joined Youth in Government, I didn't really know like judicial or like all those terms. Like I did not know any of that. So then I joined Youth in Government is really educated like you get to know how stuff works how laws are passed how everything which is really helpful for when you're older I've noticed as you're speaking you're getting more and more comfortable <laughs> uh, so clearly you have a 
future communicating uh, to help world, make our world a better place. So congratulations on your office as uh, vice president of our local delegation. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you, Shay. Um, it's important to hear from our teens what is happening at our organization, and so I'm very proud of Shay um, for stepping up and being able to share that. Um, now we can go back to the littles, and I've got the um, PowerPoint right here. So this is uh, timely <laughs> when this was presented, because this is our Carter School, and they're really excited about the Firebirds. So I thought that worked out really well for tonight. Um, they're, they're really um, a dedicated group that's at our Carter School and Ronald Reagan uh, programs that we have. That's our school-age licensed childcare. Uh, we also have um, our preschoolers at the Jean Benson uh, Preschool Child Development Center. We had our graduation this morning. I want to thank um, Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla for coming and joining in. It's always fun to see the smiles and the parents, and uh, we like to say we're helping develop lifelong learners at our preschool there. Uh, let's see what else do we have. So this is a little bit of the history of um, our YMCA here in Palm Desert. And as you can see, it's when we opened over here at San Pablo, moved to Jean Benson, Carter, Reagan, and the, had the fortunate opportunity to be awarded the operations for the Palm Desert Aquatic Center. I will tell you that uh, the YMCA is on the move, and we have a lot of... Um, uh, standard programs that we've maintained over the years, but we have some new exciting programs that have come on the landscape for us with creative movement. We've got our senior movement. We have a Parkinson's movement program. So we're really trying to move from infant care through the senior population. Uh, again, as Shea spoke, youth and government, our day camps right now, uh, between day camps and our licensed child care and preschool, we have 220 program participants that have been with us this week that really help with um, our working parents out in our community. We have um, the Aquatic Center, which is um, always top of mind, I know, for our city and for our Y. We have 118 members, and I know that will probably change in the next week or so. Uh, we had our first dive-in movie, and it was really successful. It was very fun. Sandy Newton was out there and was engaged to uh, welcome the guests. And like I said, we're on track to have 78 70 to 80 lifeguards this summer. So um, I'm really proud of our Palm Desert Aquatics team and the support provided by the city of Palm Desert. We also had, that's a picture of the dive-in movie night. Uh, truth be told, when Sandy and I were getting up there to welcome everybody, they were more excited to be in the water. So <laughs> um, we also have, these are the, our preschools and students at Jean Benson um, Child Development Center. And it really is a um, wonderful environment. We've hired an inclusion specialist. We are doing dual immersion learning at the uh, preschool as well and look, looking to help develop our outdoor play space. So very excited. We have a um, cook chef, I should say, that's on staff that provides healthy uh, breakfast, lunch, and snacks for our preschoolers. And these are some testimonials. I think it's always important. I can get up and say something, or team members can get up and say something. But when you have a parent that says, every day my children attend the YMCA, I knew they felt cared for, listened to, and appreciated. The kind of, that, kind, that kind staff always modeled what a good human should be like, and my children learn from them daily. And that's what we are really instilling in our future leaders. Um, so again, this is at our Ronald Reagan site. 
because it's always great to see smiling faces. Uh, we, as an organization, are 227 uh, team members strong at 10 program locations across the valley. And we had over 12,000 um, opportunities to help our uh, Coachella Valley residents and guests um, participate in various programs, whether it's the aquatic center, childcare, day camps, family, night out, anything like that. We have a fantastic uh, collaboration with many of our community partners there. And one I would like to share is we um, are connected with the Armed Services YMCA up in 29 Palms. They help uh, come down and they help support our events. They are with our kids out at Camp Oaks and serve as counselors. And it's just been a long-standing relationship, and I'm very proud of that, as we do with our other programs as well. So I want to thank the City of Palm Desert, the council staff, and our community for the support that you provide our families. Thank you. Any questions or comments, Mayor Pro Tem? Thank you, Madam Mayor. I, it truly was a pleasure and a privilege to be present this morning and taking the frenetic and excitement and, and energy from the students that were enjoying the graduation and the level of attention, the level of caring that was clearly present in every student was, was truly wonderful. I appreciated learning about the expanded opportunities of how you want to get that outdoor play and get our kids away from technology and encourage that love of the outdoors. And I wanted to know if you can elaborate a little bit on the conversation we had about the uh, transitional kindergarten and how those vacancies will allow you to um, fill another much needed sector in, in uh, child development and childcare. Sure, so again, thank you for being there and to, to hone in on the technology component. I will let you know that in our licensed child school age programs, we actually have a no technology um, just protocol. So our kids cannot come in with their phones or other um, opportunity, you know, avenues to uh, seek out technology. We're really working with them on um, interacting with our staff and um, just other avenues besides technology. So with that, with the TK, it's moving to uh, the school districts that there's going to be more opportunities for transitional kindergartners to be in the school districts. What we're looking at is how do we best serve our working parents and our families and again, the children that are in our care to to uh, really focus on the two, three, and then four-year-olds, and how do we promote um, the importance of socialization? Yes, education is important, and we realize that, but there's other opportunities within early childhood education to really expand um, just the beginning, and I will, with that, uh, share that we do a desired results uh, parent survey, and we just received that, and basically, uh, parents from whether it's parent engagement, um, how kids are learning to um, develop uh, just um, from reading or writing um, or any other um, program-based opportunities are presented, they really have valued our, our services from 95 to 98%. And one thing I'm really proud of is they really rated us very high for operational safety and standards and care. I will tell you from fall of 2022 to spring of 2023, uh, the data reports back that the kids have seen an increased, increased uh, um, knowledge in various areas that are going to help them when they get to kindergarten. So I don't know if that's answering your question, but that's really an area that we're focused on and how do we um, promote the preschool. 
Absolutely, that was my my um, what I hoped would get across to the community that it's not only an education or a socialization, but your impact on workforce development and and keeping parents aware that their children are in a positive, um, safe space so that they can work and support the family. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you so much for uh, taking time uh, to be with us, and thank you for your important work. All right, thank you so much. Uh, city manager, comment. Thank you, Mayor. I wanted to take a few minutes uh, tonight to introduce Jason Austin to the council. He's our new social services coordinator. Uh, Jason joined our staff a few months ago and um, brings with him about 20 years of behavioral health experience. He's a, a master's degree in clinical psychology and has developed quite an expertise in homelessness coordination efforts. So knowing that was an important uh, effort of yours, I wanted to make sure that uh, you learned a little bit about how Jason's been spending his time. And we so appreciate this just to underscore for members of the public. Uh, for some years now, the city of Palm Desert has committed uh, to spend some of our own resources to go beyond uh, what's provided by the county, which has central responsibility for social services. Uh, because we know this issue is very, very important to our residents. And we've been quite happy, uh, Mr. Austin, that you've joined uh, the effort with your considerable experience. So we're eager to hear what you have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Kelly. Uh, council members, I'm Jason Austin, Social Services Coordinator for the city here in Palm Desert. I'm very happy to be here today to talk a bit about my first three months here in the city, some accomplishments, some um, looking at the overall system and how we can bring things together to really engage <coughs> folks experiencing homelessness here within the city. So over my first three months here, um, my background comes from uh, a neighboring county as well as a other city being the county's homeless czar and overseeing homeless services and within a city being a director of homelessness and mental health. I'm a licensed therapist and bring many years of uh, homeless experience as well as uh, mental health and substance use programming. So bringing that here to the city, it, it, my goal has been to better understand the system as a whole, what other programs and services are in existence already, and how we can work to coordinate and collaborate more services here for folks that either are at risk of or are currently experiencing homelessness um, and also mental health and substance related issues. So some of the first things that I had looked at is um, first looking at our homeless providers and uh, an overall system assessment. I had uh, looked at our city website, what kind of information is available for our community, for our businesses, our residents and neighbors, as well as for people experiencing some kind of uh, homeless uh, episode or mental health related issue, how do they reach out and find services either on their own or through connecting with me, and also conducting homeless street outreach and bringing our providers together for a more uh, group engagement in what I call care teams that we're doing now within the city. So I'll go into those today. 
So as, as I mentioned, uh, my first uh, real focus was on assessing what currently exists, what, uh, what providers, what county services are here within our city or regionally available uh, to get to know them and to look at not only how we can work together, but develop relationships so that we can engage uh, individuals needing their different services and really look at a more customer service focused process. Our goal is to look at all of our customers. Um, whether that's somebody needing the services directly, uh, someone within our city who is trying to learn more about homeless services, uh, needing that for a friend, a loved one, a neighbor, or just someone that they pass on their way in and out uh, going to work or to their car every day. And so looking at the different kinds of providers that currently exist in this part of the county, um, it was really my goal to get around and meet those people, shake their hands, look at the service, walk the shelters, um, and really look at what are these services and what are the things we're trying to help people engage into and get them to go into. So if you look at the list, um, I've met with the, the County Behavioral Health Department, uh, Animal Services, uh, the two different shelters here, uh, uh, met with CVAG, uh, all the different uh, levels of providers that are really engaging folks that need these services. Um, I've met with our city housing department, our different city uh, code and sheriff's departments, done ride-alongs with uh, the different uh, city agencies, and really looked at where are the hotspots, um, where are people that are in need of our services, and how do we bring these services to people when they need them, where they need them, instead of expecting folks to follow up to appointments or make uh, follow-up engagements that sometimes don't get, uh, get met. And so my goal is really how do we bring everybody together, get everybody a seat at the table and a voice, and uh, allow us all to really look at how do we engage people in a different way. I've also worked with our city homeless task force um, to remind everyone the, the task force here within the city had really looked at how do we identify strategic priorities, what those would be, and how do we then develop a work plan to make more of that happen here in the city. Um, our homeless task force strategic priorities were about identifying mental health, substance use, and medical services, uh, housing uh, opportunities, and overall affordable housing here for the city. And so my goal is to really engage and work with that, uh, that uh, homeless task force so that we can all identify these priorities and make things happen, I think, in a very exciting and innovative way. And the more we talk about these things and get people involved from our community, the more we can not only um, make these things happen in the city, but everybody can be part of uh, all the solutions that hopefully we're bringing to Palm Desert. So uh, another piece of... Uh, things that I had found when I had first uh, come onto the city a few months ago was we had one web page, one site with uh, some basic information. And so my goal was to expand that uh, to develop more of a uh, web presence. So a lot of folks who want to learn about uh, homelessness or city functions, some people like to do the surfing on their own. Some people are looking for services for themselves. And to be able to have that available to folks as that first step, I think is a real powerful piece to add to what we have to offer. So if uh, you haven't had a chance to check it out already, it is now online and live. We have a fantastic section on supportive services uh, available to any individual, whether it's for yourself, for loved ones, uh, for neighbors and friends, as we had said before. Um, there's lots of drop-down menus and many different supportive service areas, including shelter, housing, mental health, substance use, 
um, a variety of things. So if anyone has any interest in that, please check that out. But another piece that we have now is an easily printable resource guide. And so if you want to just take something with you, if you want to hand it off to someone, you have the ability to just click a link and it will print out um, a fold over one page booklet that you can either keep in uh, with you or hand off to someone on printer paper. So a lot of times we'll have like glossy brochures and fancy things and, um, you know, to be able to have access to that when you need it. Uh, sometimes, oh, I left it in my car or it's somewhere else. So now it's easily printable and something that's available to the entire community. Um, some other pieces there, we have a business and resident information. And so when we talk about homelessness, the overall strategies tend to get focused solely on uh, supportive service and engaging vulnerable populations and individual uh, who may need the service, which is very important. But we also need to look at how do we involve the entire community. And that includes neighbors and residents and business owners and operators so that we're all part of discussing what kind of solutions and strategies we need to engage. And so uh, as I did my initial um, assessment and walkthrough, I walked the businesses uh, down at El Paseo and uh, different areas throughout the city, talked to business owners and operators and got a sense of their concerns and things that they're looking for as well. There's a nice section on our website about that, um, as well as people wanting to just learn about homelessness with links or drop downs with uh, the county point in time, the county's homeless action plan, other kinds of information. So it's a, it's a good place to check out. Um, a third piece of my overall first couple of months is about how do we engage folks on the street. And so as it, I had mentioned, we are doing something called care teams. And that is myself, SEVAG, uh, the county's HOPE team, uh, Code and Sheriff's Department, uh, CVRM, the Coachella Valley Rescue Mission Outreach, and we're all going together. And so bringing services to people when they need it in the moment that we're talking and engaging really does make a, a strong difference. And bringing everyone together to engage various city hotspots or places where homeless uh, individuals may congregate um, allows us to bring those services. And they've been very successful. I think so far, most um, care team engagements have uh, we've done anywhere between 15 to 25 people on any given day that we've engaged. Uh, we've been able to link people to shelter and start working on housing plans, but also bring basic needs like food or water and really start that engagement process when we're talking about working with people and building that sense of trust. Um, also, we are dealing with City Hall walk-ins. And so we do actually get folks walking into City Hall looking for services. And so now I'm here as a licensed therapist and also someone who's knowledgeable about homeless services. Sometimes folks are homeless, sometimes they're um, experiencing a mental health condition. And so it's very handy to have, I think, somebody with my background here to be able to engage folks that are walking in looking for service so that they're able to be linked to whatever that next step service is going to be. Uh, homeless support calls and email responses. I think as we've built out our web presence and put uh, my phone number as well as the, the city's rock solid app and um, an email address for homeless support, we get those every day. I'm able to respond to them uh, same day to get back to people, um, whether they're somebody experiencing homelessness, needing follow-up and linkage to service, uh, family members. I've actually gotten quite a lot of calls from family members from out of state looking to support family members that they know to be here in the 
in the city, as well as folks just saying, hey, I, I've been dealing with this particular situation. Is there anyone there in the city that can help? And now we have someone that can. So that's been working out very positively. And finally, our street response. So um, I've been working with our sheriff and code uh, departments to be able to be that next step if whether I'm out with them or as a follow-up if somebody should need some kind of service. And finally, just to give it a sense of data, so uh, so far in the last three months, we have done 140 engagements of individuals. We have gotten 26 requests for service by phone, 49 requests for service by email or city app, and we have actually, that last number is very significant. We have linked 13 people to shelter or housing through our system of care just within this first three months. That is amazing. And our goal is to continue to increase that number by the, the more that we're able to engage people, to let them know that the city cares, that this is a city that really wants to engage people and get them along to that next step um, so that we can hopefully engage in a, in a very positive way. And so... Um, being able to engage folks and having those relationships with uh, the local shelters, with uh, housing programs, and um, with our county hope team as well. I think it's been a very positive and fast-moving three months. I'm very happy to have here, and I'm available for any questions. Beautiful. <laughs> questions, comments? Uh, Councilmember Nastante. Yeah. Thank goodness you're here. What what a blessing to to, to have you here, and uh, and thank you for the presentation. Mm -hmm. Quite often, uh, some or many of the homeless don't want help. And how are you overcoming that challenge when you find somebody on the street and they say they like living on the street? The job of any outreach worker and anyone on the street is to build trust. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of times, people may say, uh, I, "I I may not want something in this moment." but that doesn't mean that they're not going to want something somewhere down the line. So our job is to see, well, what is it can I help you with today? So maybe it's they've had bad teeth or they haven't had anything to eat or they have had medical problems that have been either undiagnosed or untreated. Um, I was out in the lobby today dealing with someone with some significant mental health problems um, and we were able to get him to his uh, to a pharmacy to get his medication mm -hmm. refilled. I mean, these are all incredible gets. Mm -hmm. And so as we build trust and as people see that there are people that are trying to work with them, then eventually we'll get there. It just, it takes a lot longer to build that trust than maybe people have an expectation sometimes, hey, why can't they, there's a shelter there, they should just use it. And um, I like to explain it to people that this is about, um, if I told you you had to go to, you know, my dentist or my doctor or, you know, do it the way I'm telling you to do, people are still people and they have the, the right to choose, you know, which direction they're going to take themselves. Eventually we'll get there, but it's about our building trust and finding what the right thing is for that moment that they're looking for and move our way up. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it's just going to take time and good old hard work. Thank That's you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Mayor Pro Tem Thank you, Madam Mayor. It can't be stated enough what an absolute asset you are, not only in being present in the city, but being proactive in the community. Uh, one thing I would like to highlight, and if maybe you can share with our community, is um, your support with the trespass letter. Um, as I know that that impacts a lot of the businesses and the concerns we get from the community. And in particular, to highlight, one of our conversations has been about eliminating the barriers of people that don't want to go because they don't want to abandon their pets. Mm -hmm. So finding the additional ways to seek compassion and make those connections. So I, I would 
Can't thank you enough, but wanted to be sure that our residents know about the trespass letter you have. Sure. Um, and so again, I recommend for anyone watching or listening, please check out our new website. One of the um, issues I think that our law enforcement and code tend to maybe struggle with sometimes, especially after hours or late night, if there is an individual on the streets and um, at either business locations or private locations, they have the ability to keep a no trespass letter on file with our sheriff's department. Um, the, the process before, A, was about learning that that existed, and B, that you would have to fill it out, actually a hard copy letter, and then fax it in to the Sheriff's Department. So that's all been um, a part of our new website. So you can now go on online, fill out some fields, and it automatically is sent, sent directly to our Sheriff's Department. So it just takes a lot of barriers away from that process. There's information on the website as well about what that means and information for business owners. So I recommend anybody check that out. As far as animals go, um, what I've learned in being here um, for the last few months is uh, the shelter beds that we have available to us do not allow people to bring their animals. And uh, so to have to make that very difficult decision of deciding to go indoors, which carries a lot of emotions with it, and then to give up the one uh, support uh, animal or creature that you've had along with you over the last months, years of your life, that's a very difficult decision. And so most of the time when we're talking about um, detox or medical or mental health programs, you have to make a similar kind of decision. And so we had been talking about meeting with county animal services to see if there's a way to, to develop a possibly like an animal foster program or something like that. So still in process, but um, I, I, I think the idea of trying to remove as many barriers as possible to help people make that very difficult decision when they're ready is, um, I think, a, a big part of everything we can all work on together. Thank you. And thank you for this excellent report. In case you missed it, check out the new website page. Uh, great information. I'll, yes, Councilmember. I'll, I'll make I'll make this quick because this was a lot of information, but. I really appreciate the fact that you've made it clear that these are individuals. This isn't just a label. These are individuals, and I appreciate that, and thank you for all your work you're doing, and the fact that our city, I'm so proud of our city for recognizing the need, coming together, addressing it, and being so fortunate to have you at the helm to make this happen, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mayor and Council Member reports and requests for action, beginning with Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. Perhaps it's a good thing that I forgot my list of notes of what I was going to present. Um, first thing I wanted to highlight and give gratitude and thanks to um, Joe Wallace. I saw he was recognized as one of the, I think, 50 most influential um, economic developers. And so I think we're fortunate to have uh, CVEP working in our valley and the iHub in Palm Desert. Um, I met with um, Council Member Harnick and our staff in regards to following up with some of the conferences. Uh, one of the conferences as we attended in Vegas, so how that benefits the city and our residents are getting a return on their investments. And I had the opportunity to be present or a panelist with the uh, College of the Desert Community Engagement um, 
for civic leaders and that highlighted the opportunities for to seek careers within cannabis so allowing people to get the technical training the knowledge whether it be from an entry-level position to a degree position and the way that cannabis is changing to incorporate people into our community I was proud to say that Palm Desert took a very deliberate approach to limit the number where other cities ended up oversaturating their market to a negative effect to their dispensary. So it was a, it was a good experience to, to learn and share. And that's it for me. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Councilmember Truby. Uh, no report at this time. Thank you. Councilmember Arnick. Thank you. So lots of work going on as usual, but I just did want to announce that the phase one of CV Sync, which is the effort for signal synchronization, is complete. So that's a, a huge asset to our entire valley and across the uh, entire valley. Lots more to come on that, a lot more phases, and it will uh, continue to make the traffic flow better, air quality better, and create more safety. Councilmember Nestande. Uh, more of a call for action to staff. Uh, Mr. Heilman on the CBAG Energy and Environmental Resources Committee. We're meeting, uh, we're taking the summer off now after today's meeting. But in September, uh, I wanted to give them an update on our EV charging stations that we have as a city and our businesses and any future uh, plans we have in order to meet the state standards for the 2030 uh, goals, if we if that's not too much trouble. Thank you. And nothing to add uh, from me, uh, which brings us to the opportunity for folks to address the council on topics which are not on the agenda. I have quite a few cards requesting to speak on agenda items coming up, so you'll get a chance to do that when we reach those topics. Uh, but this is the time to speak on non-agenda items. Uh, before I call up those present, um, Mr. Mejia, would you give technical instructions uh, to anyone on Zoom? For those on Zoom, if you want to participate in public comment, please click the raise hand button on your computer or smartphone. If you're joining by calling in on your phone, please dial star nine to raise your hand and when called upon, press star six to unmute yourself. Please keep your comments to no more than three minutes. Thank you. And as this hints, the three minutes is also the allotted time for those present. Uh, first is Don Hollinsworth. Is Don here? Don, we'll give that another chance. Uh, Brad Anderson. Great, thank you. My name is Brad Anderson. I currently live in the city of Ransom Mirage. And I just want to speak on a couple of items. Uh, just one, on the agenda itself, I noticed it's a hybrid meeting. Uh, you have it printed on there, and then you have Assembly Bill 49, uh, 2449, which I happen to, uh, I guess, uh, monitor all the way through the process. 
And, and, and this law, I, I, well, I guess my issue is it really is it a hybrid meeting. Uh, you've always had the capability of allowing the public to speak remotely. And it's just the uh, council members that could uh, vacate the seat and remotely work from another location on dire type of emergency situations. So, uh, and it's only a couple of times they can't use it. So I would suggest that you take it off the agenda altogether, unless you're actually gonna use that AB 2449. And, uh, and that's all about, goes back to AB 361, which allows remote meetings way back when, when you were remodernist uh, uh, chambers. But anyway, now onto some positive news. <laughs> I noticed you talk about pollinators, which, uh, I've been speaking for a number of years about the vector characteristic out in the Indio, and I just want to say that organization probably harms the environment, meaning uh, pollinators, insects, greater than any other organization in the valley, even agriculture, I believe. Uh, but uh, that besides that, you have the longest serving trustee, Mr. Walker, that's been sitting on that board. So you have entrenched I can't say politicians, but you have entrenched people. Uh, they just need to step aside and let new uh, new eyes on that district. So there's better ways of doing things. The, the district is going to do sterilized insects pretty soon, or mosquitoes. And a lot of people may not know mosquitoes are really pollinators too. So that <laughs> I, I'm kind of all over the place, but. Uh, I, I guess let's go ahead and open up positions, uh, appointments into these subcommittees, even CVAG and SCAG and all these other organizations that really runs this city or runs this county or region. Let's just open it up and let other fresh eyes go into those appointed positions. And that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Larissa Delatore. Nice to meet you. My name is Larissa de la Torre, and I am the new district representative for the newly elected senator, um, state senator, Steve Padilla. Um, so we represent the 18th district, so I will be here representing the Coachella Valley. Nice to meet you all. Great. Thank you for coming. Um, Ruben Perez. Good evening, uh, Mayor, Council, and community members. My name is Ruben Perez, and I work for Assemblymember Garcia. And you may be wondering, uh, Ruben, you work for Assemblymember Garcia. What are you doing here? He's not even our representative. And the reason why I'm here is because uh, what happens on one side of the Coachella Valley affects what happens on the other side of the Coachella Valley. And um, he wanted me to come by, say hello, and to give a little update on his behalf. And um, so uh, this legislative session, we were giving new committee assignments and now chair the Committee on Utilities and Energy. We have successfully sent 18 out of 21 bills that our office authored out of the assembly and are now in the Senate making their way through the legislative process. Three out of the 21 are now two-year bills. The legislature will soon begin the budgeting process next week. And despite the new committee assignments, Assemblymember Garcia continues to be a champion for our region. There are a handful of bills I would like to highlight. 
In order to address the housing crisis, the Assembly member has authored AB 371, which establishes the California Tribal Housing Program with, within HCD. AB 1630, which helps cut red tape for the construction of student housing near college campuses. AB 1385, a bill sponsored by Riverside County Transit Commission, RCTC, and Coachella Valley Association of Government, CVAG, grants RCTC the authority to go back to voters and ask for a potential tax increase for transportation purposes in the future. We want to emphasize that this is not a tax increase now, but just giving RCTC the ability to put something on the ballot. And recognizing that the investment of mental health counseling for our youth is more critical, critical than ever, Assemblymember Garcia has authored AB 1479, which requires the California Department of Ed to streamline a K through 12 educational institutions um, state funding uh, formula for mental health services. Um, the piece of legislation that will keep us the most busy is AB 1567 the climate and resources bond, which will establish a $16 billion bond to help uh, tackle climate change and will uh, include a historic $900 million allocation for, for parks. Um, on May 24, 2023, the legislature held their first of many select committee hearings on the fentanyl crisis. The legislature understands that this bill, I mean, this issue does not discriminate based on race, gender identity, and goes across party lines. The legislature has made this epidemic a priority and 16 bills on this frightening issue are making their way through the legislative process. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor, council members for allowing me to come by and say hello today. Uh, we'll be here again in a few months to give you another a little update to see how things are progressing, but um, just want to remind you all that you all have an ally in the state legislature and um, feel free to call us if you need us. Thank you. And I assure you uh, that this city has long appreciated the interconnectedness of all the jurisdictions in the Coachella Valley, which is at the core of our commitment to dedicate considerable resources to CSU Palm Desert Campus. And we certainly appreciate uh, Assemblyman Garcia's collaboration with us on the growth of that campus. Uh, is Don Allensworth with us? Last call uh, for Don Allensworth. Any public comment uh, from Zoom land? Yes, uh, we have two. Uh, the first is uh, titled Samsung. Hi, sorry about the name. Uh, my name is. Unfortunately, we are just not doing anything about bettering public transportation, pedestrian safety, and things of that nature. A year ago, I asked for public transit improvements, and fast forward to today, we have only had a reduction in service by splitting the route one in half, which has been an absolute nightmare for us bus riders. A year ago, I also asked for some of you to please try taking the bus to run some of your errands, just to see what we are talking about and what improvements are needed. And I'm going to guess that none of you have done this. So, so many people are realizing just how important public transportation is and also how much of a scam it is that we even charge a fare for it as it is heavily subsidized with our taxpayer dollars already. The fare collection does not even help with the funds. It's only like less than 10%. 10 
And why are we taking money from poor people anyway? It all just makes no sense. But thankfully, many cities are doing fareless public transit now. But none of our politicians are fighting for public transit. Why is the funding so low? And why is it taking so long? And now another scorching hot summer is back. And we are out stranded again with no freedom of movement. And no second options like bird scooters. I understand that some of you think scooters are a nuisance, but no, cars are a nuisance. We say that doing the traffic sinking helps with air quality, but cars wasting gas are still cars wasting gas. The better option is clean and active transportation first. Being surrounded by speeding vehicles 24-7 is not quality, quality of life. And we do nothing about it, except put up a flashing beam that tells you the speed you're going, as if they already don't know how fast they're going from their dashboard. They don't care that they're speeding. Many of our residential streets need speed humps and we are just doing nothing about it. Children can't even play outside anymore because of the environment that we have created. And then we wonder why they don't play outside. If you don't think that this is affecting children's behavior, please do some research on the topic because there is a direct connection between the way we engineer our streets and kids having to stay inside and resort to playing video games, mostly violent ones. And then we also wonder why we have school shooters. You see, it's like a domino effect. So this is a huge issue and Palm Desert continues to cater to the auto industry with no signs of stopping. These are preventable deaths that we are ignoring. If we're not doing everything we can to quickly fix that problem that's killing our own people, then what are we doing? Doing. Thank you. And thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Stephen Moyer. Thank you. Uh, I simply want to ask the city council to do what the city council did in 2020 in creating the uh, two district voting system. It went directly to creating maps without further delays. There were no ballot measures that delayed the process. It did a bang up job. And in the famous words of Evan Truby, speed is good. Please do it. That's it. Any other comments on items which are not on the agenda? No additional speakers, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Uh, that brings us to the consent calendar. Uh, do any council members wish to withdraw something from consent? I do. Which um, item? I would like to remove from the consent calendar for discussion item P. E as in? L, uh, as in Princeton, a <laughs> pet. Anything else? Uh, would you like to move the remainder? Yes. Is there a second? I second. Please vote. Motion passes five to zero. And item P is the uh, proposed library task force. Uh, it's a short report, so I don't think we need a verbal introduction. 
Oh, P, P. as in Peter. Oh, I thought yeah. you said E Sorry. as in no, no, no. E Sorry. as in Evan or B as in boy. <laughs> Sorry, P, P as like Peter. In principal. Like, like pumpkin. Okay. Sorry. I, I was P as in principal. Yeah. Councilmember Truby. Okay, thank you. Um, actually, there's, uh, the only issue I want to address with this is um, a couple things. This is uh, regarding the composition of the library task force. And um, it's, there's 12 members there, um, two council members, city staff, Chris Escobedo, and nine uh, residents. And I just want to take the opportunity publicly uh, to say two things. First, it was a masterful job, I thought, of uh, our mayor to put this together. And, and I really, the variety uh, and experience of people that are on that uh, task force are wonderful, and I think it's going to be a, a, a worthwhile endeavor. But I also have been approached by a lot of residents, many residents, who understand my interest in the library and uh, have said they would like to have their input uh, on this task force, and they want to. They were looking, kind of lobbying to get on the task force. I just want to take this opportunity right now, publicly, to let them know that if you have input on any of our uh, uh, policies going forward with the library. The task force would, meetings will be held publicly, and your pub, your input will always be welcome. So don't you know consider that if your name doesn't appear here on the task force, that you certainly will have ample uh, opportunities to make your voice heard, and we look forward to it. So that is all. Great. Would you like to move the item? I would. I make a motion to move. Is there a second? I will second the motion. Please vote. Motion passes five to zero. Okay. And uh, that brings us to item 2A on the action calendar, uh, which is to approve a proposed agreement between Eisenhower Health and the city of Palm Desert as it relates to funding costs of construction of an employee childcare facility, uh, which is designed to assist with employee retention and delivery of services to all of our residents. Uh, so, uh, Ms. Chavez, would you like to introduce Monica? Certainly. Um, Madam Mayor, um, staff met with Eisenhower recently, and Monica Vasquez is here from Eisenhower to give us a short presentation. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Madam Mayor, members of the council, Mr. City Manager, and other city officials, thank you so much on behalf of Eisenhower for allowing us to present to you our Eisenhower Child Care Center, our next project. As you're very well aware, COVID shut down many industries, including childcare centers and schools, certainly not hospitals. Many of my colleagues, day in and day out, took care of the very sick, and at the same time, some of them struggled with childcare services. Eisenhower leadership took notice and helped by implementing online resources. Overwhelmingly, many of my colleagues took advantage of this. And so Eisenhower decided to look even further to see how they can help these families. They hired a company to survey the families and find out how more, how they could help. 
Overwhelmingly, they found out that having a childcare center on or near the hospital would be so important to them. And so the plan is to build a 17,000 square foot facility with an additional 12,000 square feet of playground area. This will be constructed on an empty lot owned by Eisenhower off of Country Club Drive right across from the, the hospital. It will be adjacent to the Eisenhower Memory Care Center. This is a daycare center for adults with dementia and the like. The project is at a cost of $9 million. To date, Eisenhower has raised $2.5 million from public, excuse me, public fundraising. And we are tonight respectfully requesting a grant from the City of Palm Desert for $2.5 million to be paid within the next two to three years. The timeline is the project will break ground December of this year, of 2023, and in two years, December of 2025, we will have it completed. This is an important project for not only the families of Eisenhower employees, but certainly for Eisenhower. Currently, there are over 200 nursing positions available at Eisenhower. Having this center would help us, one, retain many of our nurses, but two, certainly recruit top candidates. I know tonight that I'm here to present to you this project, but I'm also here to report on something that I know that some of you have brought to our attention, and that is the care that people are receiving in our in our emergency department. I want you to know that we take that very seriously and already Eisenhower has hired a consulting firm to help with the process of improvements. Already we have added staff and created benchmarks to help with these procedures. And already we have seen just one example of dropping the wait times by 1.5 hours. We commit to report to, to you biannually on the progress of the new implementations put into place. This child care center, going back to the child care center, is part of a campaign that Eisenhower is working on currently. And all the cities of both Rancho Mirage and Indian Wells have committed, both committed $2.5 million as well. And now I'd like to leave um, for questions. And with me tonight, I'd like to introduce Mr. Ken Wheat, COO of Eisenhower Health, Mr. Michael Landis, President of the Foundation, and Mr. Ali Turkoman, Vice President of Ancillary Services and Chief Construction Executive, uh, who would help me answer your questions. Great. Uh, before we take questions, uh, we do have one request for public comment on this item. Uh, so let me ask you to take a seat briefly. Uh, Mr. Anderson, you requested to speak. Thank you again, uh, Brad Anderson, City of Ransom Mirage. Uh, I was living in the city and being very, very active in the community. <laughs> uh, I didn't know anything about this until I happened to be uh, addressing your meeting uh, remotely. Uh, whenever that was, it was quite a while ago, but, uh, and I heard the part of the presentation that was given. And I'm just kind of uh, alarmed, I guess, because my understanding is they won't, 
this other money that was raised by raised by two people, I believe. So uh, I, I'm, I'm just going off the staff report, I believe. Uh, and I just, I don't know of my city being asked for money other than money that was already given for another process or another building or another fund, I guess, at the hospital. And I, I don't want the hospital mad at me because it's really a great organization and they do a remarkable great job in the valley and in my region and I'm very lucky to have that so close to my home. Uh, but on the, on the other note, uh, my understanding this is just for employees, uh, hospital workers and doctors for child care and, and of course they have a workforce that works out of Palm Desert throughout the region really and they, they, they pinpointed how many people worked out of the area. But I, I don't think uh, I don't think the residents of Palm Desert should be given $2,500 for them to have private child care. Uh, that's just how I feel, uh, because Eisenhower, they pay very well, they have resources, and this is a whole new building, and it's really not across from the hospital. It's close to the hospital, but uh, it's not on the campus. Uh, it seems like it'd be better located near the campus or on the campus. I mean, closer to the campus. But uh, that's their business. Uh, I'm just thinking for the citizens. If I was a citizen, I wouldn't want this to go to this organization just for their private use. And and I know they're trying to retain nurses or retain uh, employees, but they have mandates against certain aspects of healthcare, and that drove a lot of the employees away. And that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment? No public comment in the Zoom room. Uh, Ms. Vasquez, could you return for questions? And the first question I'll ask just uh, for clarity, am I uh, reading the staff report correct in reporting that the cities of Rancho Mirage and Indian Wells have each uh, recently committed to contribute uh, 2.5 million each toward uh, the work that's underway to improve cardiovascular services. That is correct. Part of a campaign is to build a cardiovascular institute on campus, and that is what they've contributed towards. Thank you. Uh, other questions from council members? Council member Harnick. Along that same vein, I, you know, I read in here, and just for confirmation, and this is for the public, I'm reading that there are 600 Palm Desert residents employed by Eisenhower Hospital. Is that accurate? That I, I, so I have yes. it in, yeah. Yes, that, okay. is, that is correct. Now, I have a, one little question here because I know how hard it is uh, to attract doctors and nurses and all allied health professionals. And I know that that has been a struggle and, and Eisenhower has been at, at the forefront of doing everything they can to get the best for our medical services for everyone here in the Valley. Um, we have a bullet that it was written, it just says for attracting nurses, but it really is for across the board for employees for Eisenhower, isn't it? Exactly, okay. it is, it is. I for, just want, I, yes. I thought that, I just wanted to clear it up, thank you. Of course. 
Uh, Council Member Truby. All right, thank you for the presentation. Um, this question is probably more uh, geared for our staff, if you don't mind. So, I, and I think I know the answer, but I think it's for the benefit of the public. Um, the $2.5 million, is it coming from the general fund? Is it coming from? So because this is capital in nature, we will be taking these from bond funds that are proceeds that we are, have from the former redevelopment agency that we're reallocating for this purpose. Perfect. So, okay, go ahead. Oh, and if I understand correctly, um, if we don't spend them on projects within a certain time period, the state will call them back. Correct. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Councilmember Nostande. Yes, hi, thank you. Uh, I, and I'm going back to the, the two and a half million that Indian Wells and Ranch Mirage are getting to, giving to the cardiovascular. I, I remember about four years ago, we had a presentation asking our city to donate to that cardiovascular unit as well, and I thought it was well into the million. So is it correct to assume that, that um, Eisenhower doesn't need more city help with the cardiovascular? Building and you really just all, all you're really needing here is for child care and the cardiovascular You've got all that fundraising set aside. Is that correct? If I may I'm going to defer this question to mr. Michael Landis okay. who will be best to answer okay. Thank you Yes um, Thank you council also for this consideration the the answer is that um it's a $156 million project, Cardiovascular Institute. Mm -hmm. And we've raised, though, with the help of, yes, two cities, but in general, all individual philanthropic um, donations, 121 million of the 156. The one, um, I would say, um, decision that we decided that we thought we should make is that we have a, and we've discussed this with your city manager a bit uh, more, we have a plethora of projects that came post-COVID. They total 12, um, and cardiovascular is just one of those projects, but it's the most expensive. Childcare was one of the projects that we looked at and said, oh my gosh, we desperately need help with this because we look into the community and we have two donors that that um, made commitments of what totals 2.5 million. Eisenhower will commit an additional 2.5. And we hope and pray that the momentum that Palm Desert could uh, generate by a commitment of 2.5 will help us generate these additional funds that are necessary for childcare. So we have, we have a so, so uh, few, we think, um, that may individually philanthropic commitments may occur. So we're looking to the city for help. And we, we, we just uh, hope that this would help us with that momentum on this important initiative that begins in December if we have the money. So yes. Thank you, Michael. Um, Mayor Brutem Kintania. Thank you, Madam Mayor. 
in regards to the crucial need for childcare, um, I recall once upon a time hearing that the average burnout rate for nurses once they are working in a hospital setting is an average of six to eight years. And I imagine that uh, COVID created an exodus of nurses. So can you speak to how many you anticipate of a rough ballpark of how many you think may be set to retire within the next year or so? So not only the current vacancies that you mentioned, but anticipating the future, thus making it necessary to attract high quality nurses. Of course, since COVID, we've actually retired about 30 nurses. Um, and uh, we anticipate to retire another, by the end of this year, um, another 12. So the need is great for, for nurses, not only to fill positions as Eisenhower grows, but certainly to fill the positions when they, these nurses leave. And my last question is looking at your um, initial donor and the Eisenhower match and if, uh, if the 2.5 million is approved from Palm Desert, that would get you to 7.5 of the nine. Are there other cities that you are exploring, the county, or what are your other targets to fill the gap? So we are going back and um, seeing our other options, certainly, um, not only from private funding, but yes, we will uh, look at approaching other cities as well. Thank you. Any other questions? We can let you sit down, Thank but you. stay close by in case a question comes up while we're discussing. Very Thank well. You. Thank you. Uh, comments? Action? I appreciate that you chose us for the child care. It truly is foundational to a strong employee base, and when we have that, we have good medical care. So I thank you for having the vision to understand how important that is to your employees. And when we talk about 600 Palm Desert employees, that kind of puts a little exclamation mark there for us tonight making this decision. But it truly is foundational, and, and all of us in here who've raised children and had to think about childcare, we'd rather think about our work and know our children are safe, and this provides that. And I am happy to uh, endorse this request, absolutely. Mayor Pro Tem. It was that a motion, um, Council Member Harnick? Well, okay. Well, then I, I second and would like to um, add the, the comment that this falls right in line with the earlier presentation from the YMCA. And when we work together as a community to ensure that our children have a safe place to, to go and to grow, it really has a, a beautiful ripple effect in the community. And you are our proximal hospital. We don't have our own. So it's in the interest of our residents and public health investment to be sure that we support our local um, opportunities. Thank you. I tend to think we do have our own hospital. It just happens to be in Rancho Mirage. <laughs> uh, there is probably no issue more important to our residents than access to um, leading world-renowned healthcare. And I greatly appreciate the information you have shared tonight about steps you're doing 
uh, to increase capacity at the emergency room, which unfortunately is where a good number of people have contact with the hospital. Uh, and beyond that, I appreciate your willingness to begin thinking strategically, not just about how to increase capacity, but how to influence capacity uh, by assessing who's coming and whether services could better be provided to them uh, in other ways, in locations even more accessible. Uh, since we do have a sizable number of people traveling some distance uh, to get to the ER. So thank you uh, for your commitment to stay in conversation on those topics. It's going to be of great interest uh, to residents uh, to hear about your responsiveness and uh, it's quite interesting how sometimes we think a, an interruption to our plans is a, a tragedy. COVID kind of stopped our conversations before about contributing to the cardiovascular center. And what's come of that through this evolution is the opportunity for Prompt Desert to participate in Eisenhower's success in perhaps a much more meaningful way uh, by being the catalyst uh, to get you uh, to the required number for this critical service. So thank you uh, to all the Eisenhower reps present for what you're doing, and are we ready to vote? Let's do it. Motion passes five to zero. Great. Uh, stay for more fun if you wish. <laughs> I don't know about that. Before, just a sec. We have a request for a brief break. Uh, so let's keep it to 15 minutes and get back at 5.30, 5.30 sharp.
Thank you. Uh, next up is uh, action item 2B, request for direction regarding districting options. Do we have a staff report? Honorable Mayor and City Council, I'm Anthony Mejia, City Clerk. Uh, we will also have Jim Priest with BB&K specializing in elections and Doug Johnson of National Demographics Corporation with us uh, via Zoom. Uh, the City Council previously received briefings on redistricting options at its April 27th study session and May 25th regular meeting. So today's I will be focusing on the requested feasibility analysis. On May 25th, the City Council requested a feasibility analysis regarding whether the City Council may submit a ballot measure to authorize the city to conduct mid-cycle redistricting and two, to uh, May the City Council submit a ballot measure to require the city to transition to more numerous smaller districts upon completion of 60% of new residential uh, projects north of Country Club Drive. <clears throat> As a reminder, under the Fair Maps Act, a city may only adopt new district boundaries in between censuses if it is the first time uh, districting under a court order or the city charter provides for mid-cycle redistricting. Uh, regarding question one, yes, the City Council may submit a ballot measure asking voters to authorize mid-cycle redistricting and the process would ensure compliance with the Elections Code 21625. The City Council may submit this and subsequent the subsequent ballot measure at the March 2024 or November 2024 statewide elections or some other future statewide election date. Included with the staff report is a uh, residential project map prepared by the Development Services Department depicting projects which are under construction or approved north of Country Club Drive. In summary, 4,200 residential units are projected with a population rate of 2.12 persons per unit at 100% occupancy, equating to a projected population increase of 8,904. The City Council may submit a ballot measure asking voters to transition to more numerous smaller districts contingent upon reaching a specific metric such as 60% of the 4,200 residential units and a sample ballot question is provided in the staff report and below. Alternatively, the City Council may submit a ballot measure which triggers the commencement of redistricting based on future population growth for instance, if the City Council desires to use 60% of the projected residential units, that equates to a population growth of 5,343. If we use the 2020 census as our baseline, when the city reaches a population of 56,510, as reported by the California Department of Finance, which is recommended by staff, uh, the city would commence redistricting and a sample ballot question uh, was provided in the staff report and below. Relative to ranked choice voting, federal and state law does not require its use in municipal elections. However, arguably for the duration of the settlement agreement, which is enforceable through 2030, the city has already ob obligated itself to keep ranked choice voting, even if it transitions to smaller districts. If the city council desires to eliminate ranked choice voting, it will require renegotiation with the plaintiffs 
In addition, if the plaintiffs want to ensure the extended use of ranked choice voting beyond 2030, that will also require some provision in the outcome under discussion, such as a potential charter amendment. The City Council previously indicated that the potential ballot question should be phrased in a manner that leaves the number of smaller districts to be determined by a future City Council. However, the settlement agreement only contemplates the City Council consisting of five members. Therefore, the plaintiff and the courts must agree uh, to transitioning to any configuration other than five single-member districts during the term of the settlement agreement. In summary, the City Council may submit ballot measures to allow mid-cycle redistricting and to trigger redistricting based on a specific metric. However, the City is obligated to transition to five districts and retain ranked choice voting unless agreed upon by the plaintiffs and the court. Uh, in summary, the City Council is requested to provide direction on whether Palm Desert should be divided into smaller districts or maintain the existing two-district system. If the City Council chooses to move forward with districting, redistricting, the next question is whether we should rely on the existing stipulated judgment as a court order or seek an amendment to the stipulated judgment to specifically address mid-cycle redistricting or to seek a charter amendment to allow mid-cycle redistricting. In addition, the next question is whether there is a desire to continue with the use of ranked choice voting or if the city should attempt to negotiate elimination of its use. Once direction is received, staff will return to city council at an upcoming meeting to award a contract to NDC for demographer services and to review the proposed community outreach plan. Jim, Doug, and I are available for any questions. All right, before we receive public comment, let's see if there are any preliminary questions from Council for Clarity? I do have one question. Uh, the proposed method from staff uh, to use the Department of Finance uh, population figures, do I understand correctly that those figures would capture growth throughout the city. That is correct. Um, in our last session, I suggested uh, removing the Bravo project from the calculations since it's a bit south of what is the core of the city's north area. If we use a methodology that measures population growth throughout the whole city, and for that reason, re-include the Bravo project, uh, what would the target number be to meet that 60% threshold? I believe that pushes it up to uh, 56,700 and four. Uh, but, but the council could um, uh, modify that to round it down to uh, 57,000. It, it's, I'm looking at question five uh, from our exchange before the meeting where I'm seeing 57,003. Is that right? Yes, I'm sorry. You're correct. So, rounded down to 57,000. 
So in use of a method that measures population growth throughout the city uh, could rely upon a target of 57,000. Is that the? Yes. Okay. Any other preliminary questions? Then I do have several folks who have requested to speak. And I'll remind you from our last session, when we did wonderfully, uh, that we restrain uh, from any applause, hoots or hollers, just restrain yourselves uh, from anything audible uh, so that everyone feels entirely comfortable to share their perspective. I do have quite a few requests to speak. Uh, so if someone has already covered one or more of your key points, it's perfectly okay uh, to express your agreement and use less than three minutes. <laughs> uh, first is Estelle Dahl. Good afternoon. After living years elsewhere in the Coachella Valley, I chose to move to Palm Desert because I have long observed that it is the best run city in the valley. I am a resident of North Palm Desert. I'm here to speak in favor of four districts with one mayor elected by the entire city. Four districts gives a voice to each area, and one mayor elected at large can help to provide a unifying voice. This follows our state and national models. We have a governor and a legislature. We have a president and a Congress. We should have a city council and a mayor elected at large. I will just add that I am a lifelong registered and voting Democrat who believes that our city council elections should be nonpartisan, and I would like to see them stay that way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Craig from Palm Desert Greens. Good afternoon. I'm Craig. I've moved here to Palm Desert somewhat recently, but I plan here to live here the rest of my life. I voted on Measure B last year. I attended the last city council meeting with an open mind to the arguments of the other side. And frankly, the arguments were not convincing. Uh, firstly, the issue of District 5, the issue of five districts was mixed up with the issue of how we vote, ranked choice voting. Regardless of the merits or demerits of that voting method, Bringing that issue in only serves to distract from the issue at hand. Second, some arguments against five districts revolved around the idea of taking away votes without acknowledgement of relative voting strength. 
In District 2, the proposal is we would go from voting every year to voting every four years in a district one-fourth the size. Essentially, each voter's voting power has not changed. What's more, we would have more attention to pay to the candidates. We've all seen how complex our ballots are between primary and general elections. In my household, we leave some ballot lines unmarked. We just don't feel confident that we're educated enough on the candidates or the issues. If we have more time between voting and more chance to see a candidate face-to-face, -face, we have a better shot at being engaged citizens. Lastly, if I understand correctly, there's a concern it may not be fair to residents living in north part of Palm Desert if we redistrict based on current population, and then the population grows based on current plans in the next several years. This misses two key points. As it is, those areas of the city do not currently have any of their own local representation. And when the population grows significantly, there's nothing keeping us from drawing new district lines at some year in the future. We heard enlightening comments on the origins of rep representative system of government from Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. This pointed out that the best part of the revolution that gave rise to our nation is that a body may only govern with the consent of the governed. Stands to reason from the face of it. Residents in the North would not consent to be governed entirely by city council, all from the Central and South. I have great respect for this governing body and have concern that whether it's a move to four districts with a mayor at large or five districts, if a move like that is not made to increase their representation, that the body loses legitimacy. And I don't want to see that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Carlos Garcia. Gracias, alcaldesa. Thank you very much for giving the chance to talk about this issue. You know, I think you all know that this is something I'm very passionate about. Um, and right behind us, I began this session with uh, uh, pledging allegiance to the flag. And that flag would not exist without the concept of no taxation without representation. Representation has always been central to the establishing the United States and to its continuity throughout. We're always seeking to be a, a more perfect union. Nothing is ever perfect, but we do know what our principles are, and representation is one of them. So a five-council district approach, five-member district approach, is really the only rational approach. It saves the city money. It gives representation to all parts of our city, and it's fair and just. And these are the principles upon which we have always lived. And this is the principles upon which we must live. And concerned about the city being, the north part of the city being under, slightly underrepresented if additional homes are built. Well, that happens everywhere in the United States, all the time, and even in all parts of the city. So you can never perfectly represent everyone ever. So you do what you can. So you make sure that the, that the north part of the town has representation. If we're slightly underrepresented, that's okay. Because we have some representation. And we need some representation. And we know, for example, I love the fact that you have a sand dunes in the image behind you. Because that's what the north part of town looks like sometimes after big windstorms. And um, 
you know, if you don't live there, you don't feel it. You don't see it. You don't smell it. It's just a different experience than living in a particular part of town. And I know you come out there, out there, uh, Evan, going out to, to Xavier and going to the gym, uh, but it's different when you live there. And so living someplace is, 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 is important. And living near your neighbors and be able to listen to your neighbors, this is why we have representation. It's the whole concept of the United States of America. It's the whole purpose of our great grand experiment. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ellen and Kate. Good afternoon, Honorable Mayor and City Council. You have heard the opinions of many regarding the implementation of moving to five districts, and I believe that you are carefully considering and evaluating all the comments for and against the measure. After listening to the last council meeting again, nothing was said to make me change my opposition to Measure B. My objections, mere comments made at the last meeting regarding the potential negative impact of five districts for our city and the devaluation of my vote. I do support Mayor Kelly's recommendation to hold off on transitioning to districts until a majority of North Palm Desert is built out, if that is the decision. You are now tasked with a controversial decision on how to move forward. Hopefully, the outcome will not tear our city apart. Please don't rush your decision to do what is in the best interest of everybody. My late husband often said, when in doubt, don't. Please consider this motto from Benjamin Franklin as you contemplate your vote and the future of Palm Desert. If you have any doubt, don't. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate it. Thank you. Jan Clement. Thank you, Honorary Mayor and the council members and staff and residents in attendance today. Yesterday morning, I was out pruning back spent branches of my blackberry bush. The timing, as well as the process, is critical to the productivity and the quantity of the fruit gleaned the following year. This year, for instance, I was given a great bounty and I was able to make over two dozen uh, jam jars of blackberry jam. And that was because of my due diligence in pruning last year. Amazingly, I have a degree in horticulture and it still has taken me four or five seasons to make uh, changes in the way I, the timing and the process that I do in pruning this really prickly <laughs> bush. I just say that because it takes trial and error and it takes um, obser observation um, when you're a horticulturalist to see how the seasons go by when you're trying to produce fruit. Uh, as I was working, these thoughts crossed my mind. Our city is 50 years in the making. Various city councils have managed its changes and growth over time. Currently, we have a wide range of wisdom and experience in our leadership body. 
Mayor Kelly has proposed that we proceed with redistricting with prudence and wisdom in creating such a profound structural change to our governing system. I am in support of her proposal. Let's use wisdom and prudence as we plant, prune, and maintain the landscape of our city in order to support healthy, fruitful growth. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Glenn Robinson. Thank you, actually. I'm going to speak on the same subject, uh, the five districts. Um, I'm glad that you're considering it. I, uh, I know it's going to be an intimidating issue. It's going to be continuing going. But like City Hall wheels, it, it just, it's a rotating thing. It'll work. And I, it, it's a very approachable. It's um, going to give us more opportunity to have a person to speak to at City Hall instead of just, you know, gang up with it. That's the way it's built. But I, I think it's more approachable with the five districts, so I'm quite in, in favor of it. And thank you. Thank you. Crystal Broke. Honorable Mayor and Council Members, I simply wish to restate my question from two weeks ago in trying to understand what problem we are trying to solve. I, left, I have lived in this city for 50 years in some and have experienced firsthand the many positive aspects of living in Palm Desert. I always took a lot of pride in the nonpartisan nature of local government, which differs in many ways from our state and federal dysfunction. Sadly, it feels like some of that dysfunction is happening here, and we are being bullied into changing an otherwise successful model, spending the city's 50th birthday on such divisive topics seemed inconceivable just a few short years ago. If we must continue with this discussion, I believe the comments two weeks ago related to the growing nature of the city was correct. It would be unwise to draw district boundaries while so much growth is occurring in many areas of the city, delaying this until which time when the city is fully built out would be smart in my opinion. <coughs> Thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Tori Smith. Thank you, Mayor and City Council members. I'm Dory Smith. I've lived here 24 years. And when I first moved here, like someone has already said today, I was told this was the best-run city in Palm Desert. 
Well, now I'm embarrassed to say that your decision to fight the California law, a law duly passed by the legislature and many other cities are implementing, to fight it was misguided. It was not wise. It was not prudent. And what makes me even matter is, according to the Desert Sun, this city council decided to spend almost $1 million fighting against moving to five districts. We know already that Palm Springs and Cathedral City have moved to district voting. The ground didn't open up suddenly and swallow those, their, those, those cities because they moved to district voting as the state asked them to. They did not have riots. They did not have divisiveness. So I'm speaking to you today. I'm going to focus on the million dollars that I see wasted. A million dollars fighting a legal law instead of doing the right thing and implementing this. A million dollars to try to protect the current power structure. A million dollars for some of you to try to protect your council seats because you don't want to run against each other. A million dollars um, because it feels like your wants and needs are placed above the diverse people in our city who don't feel like they're being truly represented. So how far are you willing to go? Think about the million dollars. I ask everybody in this room today, think about, I was so proud that you voted to give 2.5 million to Eisenhower for a child care center, but think about what that million dollars might have done instead of throwing it at attorneys in the court. Um, more children sponsored at the YMCA. More programs may be made free to parents at the YMCA. More meals for hungry children by giving more money to find food bank. Uh, more books for schools. I know the city doesn't necessarily do this stuff directly. Um, more homeless services. It was wonderful to hear about the new social services coordinator. More stuff for seniors. I go to Jocelyn Senior Center all the time. It is packed. It needs a capital program. And we heard today from a gentleman who says that the bus system isn't working. So all those things could have been improved instead of fighting a, a law of the California legislature and wasting $1 million, in my opinion. So I'm asking you, how far are you willing to go? The city of Santa Monica has already spent $22 million on it, and they're still not through. Yes, they may have won a small victory because maybe they don't, thank you, they don't have the diversity that we have, but they're still fighting it, and they've wasted $22 million. So how far are you going to go? $2 million, $3 million, $5 million? That's a good place to finish. Thank you. I respectfully ask you to go to five districts. Thank you. Uh, Tom Mortensen. I'm a resident in Palm Desert, North Palm Desert. And the last time we voted, 53% of the people, 53% voted to go to five districts under advisory. We didn't vote to have five districts. We voted to have it to be under advisory. The last time we hear people said, do the right thing, do the right thing. So I'm asking you, do the right thing what the people voted for. Go under advisory. 
If we want to go to five districts, we should put it on the ballot and find out what everybody does want to do. So all the citizens can vote and we can go to five districts or not go to five districts. Um, right now there's 1,600 plus homes being built in the North Sphere. That's where I live. And there could be even more in the next few years by the time the next election comes up. So let's not rush into everything just because some people sued the city. I mean, this is California. When you want something, you sue people because it's easier, an attorney will tell you, give up because it's gonna cost you more to prove you're right. So I don't agree with spending a million dollars, but I also don't agree with just because two people wanna sue the state or sue the city that we capitulate, roll over, and let it happen. So once again, I ask you to do the right thing and put this on advisory, and if it just goes that way, to put it on a vote the next time. Thank you. Joan Spear, thank you. Hello. I'm Joan Spear. I live in Monterey Country Club. Um, honorable Mayor and City Council members, we are not requesting five districts because we think you are doing a bad job. You're not. We are not requesting this because we want to get rid of you. Keep on running. I'm not doing this because I personally don't feel represented. However, there are others who do feel that way. I'm doing this because our country is a constitutional republic where the votes of all, including the minority, are valued. Through debate with several points of view, better solutions are found. This is the American way. I think we all agree. The Voting Rights Act was written to ensure accessibility to input into governmental decisions. Districts make that happen. Palm Desert is barely following the letter of the Voting Rights Act, but absolutely not the spirit of the act. And now there are questions about the legality of at-large voting in the large district too. This keeps coming up because there is a group of citizens who desire to see Palm Desert step up and wholeheartedly embrace diverse representation for all where there are voices from all parts of town. And by the way, the ranked choice voting is a separate issue that needs to be addressed separately. We have outgrown the one horse town and it's time to bring in representative voices. And this is not new. The concepts of the Voting Rights Act have been swirling around Palm Desert since before the lawsuit in 2019 where Palm Desert decided to very minimally comply. It could have happened then and done. And doing it right means directing the staff to pursue mapping five districts and finally moving forward and rely on the existing judgment as authority to go to five districts. No more delays, no more wasted money on lawsuits. Sadly, you will continue to ignore the will of the people. Will you continue to ignore the will of the people and wait for another lawsuit 
to finally believe that Palm Desert is out of compliance with the Voting Rights Act. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ralph Perry. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm, I'm rising today. Uh, Greg Ackerman asked me to read a statement uh, for him, and that's what I'm going to do. And here it goes. Regarding the issue of Palm Desert and redistricting, I urge the council to give the voters what they asked for by transi transitioning to five districts in time for the 2024 election or risk giving lawyers millions of our tax dollars defending unneeded lawsuits. The ACLU has submitted a letter to the city showing what they, that they think the city is legally vulnerable every day that a transition to five districts is delayed. They are interested in the outcome and will be watching, something no city council should want to hear. The Beeman Jacinto Law Office submitted a letter to the city acquired by Greg via a public records request, strongly suggesting they are preparing a lawsuit because they believe Palm Desert's at-large District 2 is non-compliant with the California Voting Rights Act. In the face of legal peril that could lead to millions in fees to attorneys, the response from the council was to request information from staff on how to move ahead with a potential ballot measure years in the future that may or may not require redistricting even years beyond that. Palm Desert has already spent roughly $1 million in the previous lawsuit to avoid five districts, and now they are risking another suit that could cost even more. It should be noted that no city in California has yet to win a case after being sued to move to district voting, and the city pays all the legal fees from both sides. The choice for the, for the Palm District City Council seems clear. Give the voters five districts now, or give the lawyers millions later and end up having to move to five districts anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Marsh. Thank you, Mary Kelly, staff. And I just want to say that so far, everybody has taken things that I wanted to say today. So, I'm going to tell you something from the heart. I know most of you, um, you've come and spoke in our group, um, talked to you, emailed you, responded. Mayor Kelly, you, your responses were so quick, unbelievable. Um, immediate responses. Evan Trubley, Jan, I... I really appreciate the job you're doing, and that's why I'm here today, to give you the support that you all deserve, and staff. Whichever way this turns out, if it's not exactly the way you wanted, you still have our support. I personally can go to any one of you and get representation. I don't have to go to one person only, or two people, any one of you, and I feel I've gotten the support that I needed. You represented me. Thank you. Thank you. Marcy Maxwell.
Good afternoon, Madam Mayor and City Council members. My name is Marcy Maxwell, and I'm a homeowner with my husband in Desert Falls. I'm here to urge you to take action um, on uh, the majority vote of Measure B. Drawing districts within a government is not unusual, and it's enacted to bring representation and fairness to a government body. We know there are local district lines already in law for government policy making and taxing authorities within this city, including school board seats, recreation district seats, water district seats, college districts seats, uh, health district, county supervisor, legislative, and congressional seats. None of these entities can allow all of their elected officials to reside in just one part of an entire governing body. Why? One reason is that each elected official brings what's closest to your life and your experience in the city with you to the seat on that governing body. In my former community in another state, I was an elected school board director for District 5 in my school district. It mattered because I knew my, newest, my nearest neighbors. I knew where I walked, where I shopped and dined. I knew the streets I drew, drove on daily. And I knew the changing demographics and who I was, who, people who knew me were most accessible to me, who lived the closest there. That was uh, my district, but the other four board members brought the same types of perspectives in their areas to the role that we governed together for an entire district. In another elected role I held as a state legislator, I experienced redistricting during one of my own elections. It's hard. But as candidates, we did the work to connect with voters and win election in our new geographic areas that were unknown to us the day before. And a few current elected, quite frankly, either had to move or run in a new district or not at all. I've also heard some comments about waiting until the 2030 uh, census and the 2031 redistricting year, which then leads to the first election year of 2032. My response to that possibility is a nine-year delay is not acceptable. The time is now. The census and population growth and the lack of population growth will always be a moving target. While change is a challenge, your role as leaders requires you to work forward and be bold in ensuring representation and fairness for your entire city. Please vote for five council districts. And thank you for your representation, your work here. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie Green. Hi, my name is Debbie Green, and I'm a new resident of Palm Desert, and I want to thank you all for being here and allowing me to read a letter from the ACLU. It says, Dear members of the City Council, we write to again urge you to move forward with transitioning the city's at-large multi-member district to single-member districts. There is no reason to delay this process any further. First, state law already allows the city council to transition district two to four single-member districts mid-decade because this is the first time such a transition would be occurring. There is no need to waste time and city resources on a charter enrollment a charter amendment measure that would permit the city to do something that state law already permits. Second, whether the city transitions District 2 to single member districts now or in the future, the city will still be required to use 2020 census data until new data comes out in 2031. 
Delaying the transition process to study expected population growth when the city will need to use 2020 census data, irrespective of what the study shows, would unnecessarily delay the process. One, the council has authority under state law to completely transition to district-based election mid-decade. Transitioning District 2 from an at-large multi-member district to four smaller districts is consistent with the FAIRS MAP Act. The FAIRS MAP Act prohibits mid-decade redistricting in most cases, but makes an exception when a jurisdiction is adopting districts for the first time, including when a city adopts council districts for the purpose of transitioning from the elected, um, its council members at large to uh, at-large elections to elections by the district. The city of Palm Desert continues to have an at-large election system in District 2 that has never transitioned to single-member districts. This also provides guidance on how to establish a CVRA violation in a challenge to a multi-seat at-large election system. Thus, adopting a new by-district map that divides District 2 into four smaller districts would mean that the council would be adopting by district council districts in District 2, that's a mouthful, for the first time consistent with the Fair Maps Act exception for mid-decade districting. It is unnecessary to delay the districting process even further to pass a charter amendment that allows the city to do something that state laws already permit it to do. If the council continues to have concerns about whether it is permitted to transition District 2 for the first time to single member districts, the council should immediately work with plaintiff's council in solace to have the court enter an amended stipended, uh, stipulated judgment that makes clear that the city can move forward with the transition process. Two, expected population growth is not a reason to delay the districting process. State and federal law already account for population growth by requiring decennial redistricting and allowing jurisdiction to deviate slightly from exact population equality to accommodate, among other things, future population growth. Ms. Green, I'm sorry, your time has expired. Um, the council has the power to immediately move forward with the transition process, and we urge you to honor voters' decisions and proudly begin the process. So do you have any questions, please contact Julia Gomez, senior staff attorney. Thank you. Ruth Hill. Yes, thank you for allowing me to speak to you today. My name is Ruth Hill. I'm a retired hospice nurse, and I want to support the mayor's proposal to um, do this in a wise and purposeful way. I do not feel that Palm Desert voted for five districts. Somebody mentioned that erroneously. We voted to address it, not to do it. We cannot make decisions based on threats and blackmail we must, of, a, of a lawsuit. We must make decisions based on wisdom. There are many reasons why I'm against five districts. If um, the person that I am in whatever district I'm in, there may not be a person that is qualified to run. So what happens? Do I have no representation? Or do I pick a weak candidate? No. If I don't think you all live in a district, you live all probably in the same place. 
And what if I you have five districts and council member Harnick, I go to her with a health issue and she says, that's not a problem in my district. So that's not a priority for me. But I tell her, oh, this is a problem in Quintetella's district. I can't worry about that district because you're only worrying about your own little geographic area. We're too small to be divided up into five districts. You're gonna be like cats, herding cats. So no, I'm against five districts, but I do want support the Mayor Kelly's proposal to act with wisdom and deliberation. Thank you. Uh, before I call up the last blue card speaker, are there requests to speak uh, from online participants? There was one speaker. Uh, she's left the room. We'll see if she returns. But at this moment, there's no Zoom speakers. Charlie Ara. Hello, everyone. It's, uh, uh, I am standing here as the one who got this conversation going way back in 2017. Wow, that was before the present city clerk, before Evan, before Karina, before the city manager. And so I'm sorry about that. You know, I'm sorry I got you all involved. You could be all home having your drink right now. But, but, uh, but here we are. Here we are. We're in a nice conversation. The conversation is still going on. Uh, but there are certain things I think we can agree on. And one of them is that we need to move one way or another. Otherwise, we're being stuck. I remember in a seminary, we used to talk about uh, the Latin term ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. In other words, beat a subject to death. All right. You know, we hear all the different opinions. I think that is excellent. That's America. You know, that's democracy, hearing all different uh, opinions. Uh, but anyway, uh, what I don't see is any, I don't see a lot of fans of ranked choice voting. You know, I think that could be gotten rid of very, very quickly. And, 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 and I think the plaintiffs uh, would agree to get rid of ranked choice voting in favor of moving to five districts in time for the 2024 election. So I would hope that someone of you five council people uh, will make a motion to move to five districts uh, in time for the 2024 election, and at the same time in that motion to include working out, finding a way to work out the details of how to eliminate ranked choice vote, voting, which is not popular with hardly anybody here. So that is my hope, not only that a motion would be made, but that a second would be made so that we can go on and vote on it, and that, uh, and that the hope would be all five of you would vote to go forward, although only three of the five of you are needed to move this thing forward. So let's go forward. Let's not get stuck. Uh, love you all. God bless you, and let's move forward. Bye. <laughs>
can see why I put his card last. <laughs> Anyone else wish to speak? Uh, thank you for being so respectful uh, toward each other, even though you have some sharply different opinions. That's greatly appreciated and reflects well on our whole city. Uh, so it's time for council discussion. Who uh, would like to speak? Councilmember Troopy is gently moving toward the microphone. Yes, so okay, I'll start it off. Thank I you. I will call on him. Because I took a big breath, you think that's why I was ready to go. Okay, so I, I think in, my, in the last meeting, I, I, you know, expressed as much as I could my opposition to, to districting in general. I've always been, a, and for the, you know, I kind of stated the reasons. Um, however, I do have a couple questions, and I don't know if our city attorney is is ready to answer. I want to make sure, but I know there's been talk about lawsuits if we don't do it. Um, as a council, in other words, if we do it before we were to amend the the city charter, and you can tell me you're not ready no, to answer. We have questions. people here who can okay. answer right. questions, so ask your question. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, I've also heard the argument made that uh, this would, if we were to vote tonight to go to five districts by the 2024 election and start the process as a council without amending the city charter, I've heard the argument made that uh, we did already redistrict. Uh, in between censuses by virtue of redrawing the lines between one and two. It seems to me a, a bit of a gray area. I know the letters read from the ACLU take the other side, but um, I don't think there's a real black, black and white line there. Can you give us some clarification or, I mean, it seems like we would run the risk of a lawsuit if we were to vote on that this evening from any resident in our city who said, hey, you violated the city charter by redistricting between censuses. Certainly. Twice. I'll, I'll, I'll give a brief answer and then I'll note that uh, Mr. Priest is also, I believe, still on the Zoom and available to supplement my answer. I think um, the general concern that you're expressing is that, you know, you have one argument that um, state, existing state law um, allows um, districting a further districting of District 2 because it's still an at-large system. I think that's plausible. However, on the other hand, you had no districts previously, and now you have a 1 and a 2. So that's also a plausible, that's also a plausible argument. I think but both arguments still exist. We, we redrew the lines in 2022, didn't we, between 1 and 2? I mean, wouldn't that count as a redistricting between censuses? That's, a, that's, the, opposite, that's the other way of looking at it, yes. Got it. Okay. Um, one thing that I saw in the, in the sample ballots that I thought if we do go forward with putting on the ballot in 2024, um, that may be a bit of a compromise or, or somehow satisfy the parties, is I know we've talked about if we put it on as a charter amendment on the ballot, uh, giving a deadline of 2030. Uh, or, but we didn't include, I, th I think moving forward, if we decide to go this direction, it might be a good idea to put uh, sort of an and or. In other words, if if we hit 60% population growth in the north part of town or 2030, you know, uh, before 2030. In other words, if all of a sudden development in the north part of town comes to a screeching halt 
and that 60% isn't met, well then that just puts off, that kicks the can down the road forever and ever. If we were to give ourselves a hard deadline of 2030, so that we've got two criteria that can be met in order to uh, redistrict. That's just a little food for thought for everybody to consider. But that's about all I have right now. And let's see if uh, Jim Priest has further input on the first question you asked. Uh, thank you. Good evening, Madam Mayor, members of the City Council, Jim Priest, Best Best and Krieger. Um, if I understood the question correctly, uh, the issue of whether the exception in the elections code allowing for mid-cycle redistricting, uh, whether this would be one of those cases where the city is districting for the first time and therefore that exemption applies. I think that's not entirely clear under the law. Uh, as uh, Ms. Shaw noted, uh, the city did adopt two districts several years ago, and then it did redistrict last year, adjusting the boundaries of those two districts. Uh, while I think somebody may argue in court that changing district two from one to four districts is a first-time districting, there's also arguments that would say that's not the case. Um, so as, as our office has advised previously, if any system does ultimately get adopted, uh, it may be wise to uh, approach the uh, court and have the court bless whatever is structured because that would trigger another exception under the statute allowing for mid-cycle redistricting. Uh, I would also note just, and I, and I apologize if I misheard, but I want to clarify one point. Uh, I heard somebody say that we mid-cycle redistricted previously, or maybe I misheard that. Uh, what we did was we redistricted on time last year. Uh, as the council will know, you know, the census data was delayed due to COVID. And so the activity that we would normally have done in 2021 was delayed until 2022. Uh, but that was a single redistricting. But again, I don't know that that definitively says that, um, you know, we mid-cycle redistricted and therefore we set the precedent that we can do it again. I think we would have to find an exception to justify that in this case. Uh, who else would like to speak? Uh, Council Member Nistan. I think it's more discussion. Yeah, that's okay. what we're doing. Well, all right, so could we put the slide back up uh, from staff that said for consideration slide. That was the title of it in yellow. Okay, so number one, maintain existing two district system. Um, and then we have underneath it four districts plus one at large. And we've already determined that going to four districts plus one at large mayor is not a viable option based upon data that that's been given. And I'm not sure if any of my fellow colleagues are of the opinion that they would vote for keeping things as is. Are any of us, because we, we have people speaking, thinking that we might just keep things the way they are. I've talked to constituents that 
are telling me that this second discussion we're having on the agenda tonight that was continued from two weeks ago is that they think there is an option that we're going to keep the, uh, the at-large district and district one. And I just want to clarify that with my council members. Are we still weighing that as a decision? It's on the list of options. So, so, it, so, it, so it, is, it is an option. So yes. looking at the North Spear growth, once we hit the population of 56,000, 57,000, how does that coincide with the option that we're just going to keep the one at large um, district and district one? I, I'm not. I'm trying to because because of the Brown Act, and I'll speak to the to the people here today. I can't talk to my fellow council members about this to get their opinions because we're not allowed to because of the Brown Act. Well, Everything has to be in public. That's why we're talking yes. now. Yes, so that's, so, so, so that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to figure out where my colleagues stand. Does, is, well, it, everybody's going to talk, and you'll find out. Right, so the question right. is, where do you stand? The, the question, <laughs> I, I want to see where my, my fellow colleagues, where, okay. where, where, I, where I stood is I wanted to fight the lawsuit originally. I didn't like the idea of even doing the four at large and, and one district. I, I wanted to, to fight it. That, that's what I wanted. I don't like the districts. I don't like, I don't, I don't like districting. And I'm not going to rehash the pros and the cons, and I respect the other side. I, I, I see the other side's point. The other issue that has me stymied is I believe in our elections. I believe one vote for everybody, and everybody's vote should count. And the way we put it on the ballot, the people voted. So that, that has me concerned, because the people voted, 53 to 47. However, we're still discussing everything, and I'm open-minded. But I'm giving you my thoughts. Councilmember Arnick, are you ready to speak or not? Um. At this point, I don't really have a lot to say. I mean, I'm, I've listened to all the comments. I've, I've, quite frankly, heard a little too much judgment of council members. It was not welcome. Don't tell me what I'm thinking. And don't tell other council members what they're thinking. Um, I also heard what a great, greatly run city Palm Desert is. And that's nice to hear. Um, I've heard a lot on the streets now, a lot in some emails, just loaded with animus. Um, unbelievable notes in emails. And all the threats of the lawsuits and um, people who aren't even residents of Palm Deserts getting behind and and trying to energize lawsuits and feed the animus. Um, it's really tough. And, and we're going to walk away from here, and not everybody's going to be happy. And that's just the way it's going to be. But what we need to do is find the best solution and make sure we're taking our time to think this through carefully. 
That doesn't mean we have to take, somebody mentioned nine years. I don't know where nine years comes into it. I don't think anybody up here is thinking about nine years. But we can do it effectively, efficiently, but we've got to think it through. It can't be just the it ha, do the right thing. Let's think about it, and let's make a good decision. Mr. Ara, who, who claims, and I believe he is, the de facto leader of this group, has said, let's get rid of ranked choice voting, and let's put in five districts. So let's have the discussion. Let's have an authentic discussion, and let's listen. Because I don't see a lot of listening. I hear presentations. And I think it's important we really look at this, look at it carefully, because a decision that takes, if this takes us a year to get in place and do it right, we will be strapped with this for a long time. And a year in government is not very long, and we can figure it out in that amount of time. So let's go slower, Lose the animus. I mean, I have, from a Palm Springs resident, one of the most demeaning emails that I'm sure was not meant to be included, but was in our packet inadvertently. Misogynistic statements about me and my husband, who's a very bright attorney, and he's right on that. He is a very bright attorney. But uh, brought up her to see, he will have brought her up to speed about the city's bad legal position. So watch Jan for new subtext when she talks again. How misogynistic is that? Now I understand why you have a stake because you're running two council members or a potential council member and a sitting council member's uh, campaign. But the animus is unnecessary. And to say that nobody up here understands, which is also said in this, is unnecessary. We can do this with calm, with kindness, and with deliberation. And we can come up with an answer that we will be proud of. We're not going to like it, each of us, 100%. But we can be proud of it, and we'll be able to live with it. So those are my thoughts right now. And I just want us to stop with the, oh my gosh, we got to rush, we got to do this now. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem, do you want to speak next, or would you wish for me to speak next? I defer to you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> so here is why I put the possibility of the Charter Amendment out for discussion. I was going over all this information before the last meeting, and it became crystal clear to me that if we implement five districts in 2024, the great probability is that the North District won't be just slightly out of balance within five years. 
it could potentially have twice the population of other districts. So that's why I put that possibility out there to try to respect as many people's interests as possible. I think if I took a poll, one thing everyone would agree upon is let's use less attorney time on this issue. Let's get ourselves on a path uh, where we're not paying attorney's fees. And we've been advised that the charter amendment is an exceedingly safe way to check one of the legal boxes that we have to check. So it had that going for it. It had going for it that it does get to five districts uh, for all those who desire that. Um, so it had multiple things going for it. And I hoped it could be something to unify us so that we can leave this tense time recommitted to working together. Now, since I put it out there, um, I've heard from lots and lots of residents affirming their support. I said last time uh, that I positively absolutely want to respect the vote on Major B, and that continues to be true. The key aspect of the vote is that 52% of the people favored five districts. So we do need to get there. It's just a question of how and when. Respecting the vote also could recognize that 48% of the people had reservations. So if we can find a path and timing that gets there, uh, so as to respect those people as well, that would be my perfect outcome. And we're hearing tonight uh, from folks who did oppose Measure B and can support the idea of a charter amendment uh, to specify a growth target, which will be the trigger uh, for changing to five districts. So the first thing I'd, I'd like to do, and you don't have to answer immediately, Mayor Pro Tem, but tonight I would like to hear from you as to whether there are any changes uh, to that proposed charter amendment uh, that could garner your support. Um, it has lots of moving parts. Uh, Councilmember Troopy has suggested one possibility to improve it uh, from your perspective would be to have a cutoff date. Uh, 
even if the growth target is not met uh, by X date, we still go to five districts. Uh, that would be one potential change. So my first question, which I would love to hear from you tonight, to help us find our path forward is whether uh, there is any version of that system of using a charter amendment with a growth-based trigger for five districts that could garner your support. Is that something you want to speak to now? Thank you, Madam Mayor. I think that we need to consider that the idea of pushing this past until we get a trigger of so that we can gain consensus with the population would be the same as saying, let's keep having study sessions until the five of us agree. I don't think that we need to continue the issue over and over and over. Yes, we need to do this right. Yes, it's already taken time. This was supposed to be done in 2017. It took a legal initiative in 2019 that said, let's get it right. The city made a suggestion to only offer two districts. And for me, I could not fathom spending more millions of the city's general fund to fight the district lawsuit any further so that we can have the ability to support YMCA, it was mentioned, so that we do have the money available to repair our roads and ensure we've got safe access along Fred Waring. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, yes, we should delay to do it right, but we've already delayed too long, and this is our time to do it right. I don't think, um, and this is in conversations with uh, Ms. Lorraine Salas, we, we don't see the point of moving to 2030. So here are my thoughts as I was thinking last night. <sighs> the CVRA lawsuit was triggered by the lack of equitable representation and the attempt to delay to 2030 under the excuse that we need to use data from seven years in the future instead of numbers as recent as three years creates further opportunities for future disenfranchisement. Waiting for projected growth only illustrates the council's blind spots. The first phase, the 40% within the next two years of growth in the North Sphere, is mostly single-family homes that are more likely to be consistent with the current Palm Desert demographics. The high-density build-out that is expected in three to five years in the future will include many residents living below the poverty line, and statistically speaking, this places ethnic ethnically diverse residents at disproportionate advantages for representation. The attempts to consider the Bravo Garden uh, apartments in future growth is such a delay tactic, and I'm glad it's been removed because last night I was thinking that triggering that delay for that much further with such a higher threshold is only kicking the can down the road. So I, I'm thankful that that, that that discussion has been removed. The Public Policy Institute of California, in collaboration with the Stanford Center on Poverty and Equality, researched California's families living in poverty and found that Latinos are overrepresented. While Latinos are 39.7% of California's overall population, 45.7% live in poverty. As compared to 9.9% of white Californians, 12.6% of African American Californians, and 11.8% of Asian and Pacific Islander Californian families. 
These statistics are in line with the wage disparities that have been shown time and time again that for every $1 that white families earn, African-American families earn 60 cents and Latino families earn 52 cents. The gender pay gap only widens this and disproportionately impacts families led by single mothers. This is why we cannot say that we do not see color. We need to see color and recognize the varied experiences that individuals face instead of lumping everyone together and assuming every person in the city is the same. These findings also included data that showed that 17% of families are proximal to the poverty limit and the longitudinal impacts of COVID-19 pandemic are impossible to measure and we must be sure to provide these families in Palm Desert not only the resources but equitable representation as well. I think the council is, is trying to pass the buck beyond 2030 by setting that as um, a, a possible metric or a possible uh, goal line so that they are not the ones to cast it. By waiting that long, it means that there could be a different set of people on the council and they would be the ones to make the choice and no one here would have to go into the community and be faced by people that said, what did you do? I voted no on B. <sighs> We simply, simply put, we can't play hot potato with democracy. We cannot play hot potato with democracy. And I heard one comment that said, well, what if the person in, um, running in my district is incompetent or inexperienced? Well, guess what? We don't have to have a degree in political science. We are representing the population. I don't think any of us specifically set out as our goal in life to be an elected official. We emerge as leaders from the community. And if the community thinks we're incompetent, well, then we wouldn't be sitting up here. So those are my thoughts on, on waiting to 2030. Also, I think that a previous discussion said that looking at the city charter or making an amendment is not necessarily required because the current charter doesn't even discuss that. And it would be an easier option to simply revise the municipal code, which can be done at this day without future risk. All right. I heard no <laughs> uh, as the answer to my question. And just to clarify, the proposed charter amendment could give rise to ranked choice voting in 2026. It didn't include waiting to 2030. But I put it out there as a potential means to bring us together. Uh, if there is no version of it that would garner your support, then it can't uh, bring us together. So I'm not going to suggest that the rest of us push in that direction. So I have a new question. Now, I know that some of you feel ranked choice voting is a distraction. It is not a distraction. If we don't have a charter amendment, the next best way to make sure that a change now is lawful is through a revision to the settlement agreement with the plaintiffs, which then becomes a new stipulated judgment. Have I got that right, counsel? That if we're looking for a path uh, to satisfy 
Elections Code 21625 if we're not using the Charter Amendment path, the next best path is to revise the settlement agreement and with the concurrence of plaintiffs to get a new stipulated judgment. Well, ranked choice voting is in the settlement agreement. So if we're going to revise the settlement agreement and seek a stipulated judgment, now is the time to address it. And as I move around all parts of the city, north, south, east, and west, I haven't found one person who liked their experience with ranked choice voting uh, in this last election. The bottom line is that over 6,000 people only got to influence one seat because their second place choice was not counted. So my next question is, uh, if this council votes to initiate conversations uh, formally with your council in your role as plaintiff, to move to five to revise the settlement agreement so that we move to five districts in 2024. Will you uh, consent to remove ranked choice voting? You don't have to answer tonight. One option would be for us to pass a motion tonight uh, to authorize our council to approach your council uh, to propose that end point. I would make that motion. Is there a second? I would second that motion. All right. The motion is for the city to approach to authorize our council to approach plaintiff's council and to propose a revision to the settlement agreement whereby upon adoption of five districts for 2024, ranked choice voting is eliminated. Any further discussion before we vote? May I say something because we have a motion in a second. And, and I want to say, you hear people talk about ranked choice voting and it's no big deal. We, we make ranked choice all the time. It's not in the voting that the problem lies. It's in the tabulation of the votes. It's when you lose your vote, when they say, here, you get two votes, and they go, no, not really, you only get one. It's when they take votes away from a candidate. It's when a candidate wins, so the second vote now that you voted is only worth 20%. The, tabu the tabulation of the votes is where it gets sticky, and most people don't understand it because it's, it's, it's a pretty hairy beast to understand. It's not the voting itself. It's the tabulation of the votes. 
And, and I know uh, many people who told me, yes, I understand ranked choice voting, and I've heard it loud and clear from a lot of people, absolutely did not understand that they only had one vote ultimately when it came down to it, even though they, they hit twice, only one of their votes counted. That's not American. All right. Uh, yes, Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, since our, our last meeting where we, we did have an initial discussion about um, ranked choice voting, I mean, they are two separate issues. They are very separate issues, and I think that it is a delay tactic, and I don't think that it should be used as, as leverage. Um, the continued allegation that it doesn't work in an at-large system is flawed, because I think it's magical thinking in order to get the community to think that this is a leveraging point. The argument I keep hearing is it doesn't work for an at-large system. Well, this is all the more reason to go to districts because then we are looking at a singularity. We are looking at only one seat and then it eliminates the challenge of trying to figure out what's moving forward. So I think that failure to do that is failure to respect democracy itself. I think it ensures that fringe candidates can't be elected as easily as they would in an at-large election with a simple majority. And I did some digging and I went back to the registrar, you know, county of voters, and I think I went back as like 2008, just for kicks, because I like numbers. And it said that, for example, um, I looked at elections where there were three seats available, and it shows that with many more candidates, the margin between them can be small. So in 2012, seven candidates ran for three seats. The third place candidate only won by 45 votes or only received 15.8% of support from voters. And a council member who won re-election only received 22% of the voters. And in 2008, for example, the highly respected former Mayor Dick Kelly only received 17% of the votes in order to be re-elected. So when we hear things like we like it the way we have it, we want to keep our elected officials in office, when we split into that many candidates, is that really how we're reflecting our, our community values? The marginal wins or a fraction of, of voter support may not seem like a lot when we're t discussing easy topics where it's very easy to gain the consensus of five voters when we're talking about contractors such as landscapers or the road improvements as we saw today again. However, when one person can be the singular swing vote that ends up costing lives, this is where it truly matters. When we had a swing vote during the pandemic in regards to wearing masks or not wearing masks at a time where deaths were steadily climbing and Palm Desert had higher numbers of hospitalizations and deaths, that was terrible to hear. I know people that said, I'm not gonna go shop in Palm Desert. I don't want people next to me that don't want to wear masks, that are not afraid to spread the disease because they don't think it's real. Look at where we are now. Clearly, it was real. Clearly, the science was saying masks work, and there were people that didn't want that. So we need to respect the fact that when that happened, Palm Desert was, was an embarrassment to some cities. Now, I have an analogy could, to prevent. For could, could I make a suggestion? Sure. I hate to interrupt. But this motion really calls for a discussion to happen. It's not a final vote on ranked choice voting. So 
you will have a future opportunity to make all of your points if I think um, that might be preferable so that that discussion can happen and we know what its fruits are. Does that make sense to you? I appreciate and respect that this motion is alone to approach the discussion of ranked choice. So I, I concur that this is a robust discussion that will continue. Thank you. Uh, so we're about to vote. We followed the same policy about council votes. No clapping, no booing. Just quietly sigh to yourself. Uh, please vote. Motion passes three to two. Okay. Um, let's steam ahead. We have, oh, we do need a second motion, I think, and that is to approve staff, staff's recommended demographer uh, for future work. Is there a second to that motion? I will second that motion. Let's vote. Motion passes four to uh, one with Councilmember Quintanilla uh, abstaining. Item 2C, receive and file the 2023-2024 work plan for the Cultural Resources Preservation Committee and request for direction on pursuit of the work plan. Mr. Maloney, I'm sure you have a, an efficient staff report. I hate to see all of you go. You know, districts are about selecting the people to do the important work of the city, which we're about to get back to. Let's give it a couple moments. Take away. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor and Council Members. Uh, Nick Maloney with the Planning Division. Uh, the item before you is uh, intended to present the five goals that were set forth for the 2023-2024 fiscal year by the um, Cultural Resource Preservation Committee, or CPRC, uh, CRPC, sorry. Um, as well as to receive direction regarding uh, amending the existing resolution for Mills Act contracts. So the Cultural Resource uh, Preservation Commission is uh, tasked with uh, primarily historic preservation efforts within the city, which involve uh, encouraging public participation uh, in those efforts, compiling uh, lists of potential cultural resources in the city, uh, as well as making recommendations to the city council with regard to uh, designations for historical landmarks, uh, as well as uh, uh, incentives for historic preservation, such as the Mills Act contract. And in pursuit of those goals for the course of the 2023-2024 uh, fiscal year, uh, they have set forth five goals. Uh, they had an initial discussion uh, about this in November 2022, which included uh, a discussion about 
GIS, pursuing uh, cultural surveys uh, that were citywide, pursuing a certified local government designation. Um, and then in May uh, 2023, they formally voted to set forth those goals. And so uh, on this slide, uh, this lists out three of the five goals. The first is to uh, partner with uh, events for the 50th anniversary event. Um, so they will have future discussions regarding that. Uh, item two is uh, direction to staff to compile information as well as uh, information on existing historical landmarks um, and place that on the website. Item three is uh, to pursue the development of a citywide cultural resource survey, which is a reconnaissance survey that would identify potential historical resources, um, as well as a context statement, which would tie those resources to uh, the historic or geographic context. Um, and staff would uh, pursue a, a, having a consultant prepare that. Uh, item four is regarding uh, pursuit of a certified local government designation, and that is uh, enacting the National Historic Preservation Act which is administered through the state and would open up funding opportunities and would have to come back before the council if, uh, if that were something that we pursued. And then lastly, uh, seeking to amend city council resolution 2011-1, uh, which is, it sets forth the procedures for Mills Act contracts, uh, more specifically to raise the cap, which is currently set at seven or uh, potentially removing the cap um, which would require come, uh, uh, that amended resolution coming back before city council. So with that, um, staff is asking that you provide your input, receive and file, and then provide direction on the Millsat contract uh, resolution. Uh, this you. is terrific work. Have you been staff support to the committee through this process? I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that question. I said, have you been staff support to the committee through this process? It's changed around a little bit, but yes. Well, commendations to yeah. everyone who helped the committee focus to produce these excellent goals. Any questions? Yes, Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Madam Mayor. As the liaison uh, to this committee, I understand that it's been a whole lot of work, a whole lot of um, challenges to bring consensus, and, and so I commend everyone that it took to bring the work plan together, so excellent work on that. There's so many wonderful ideas, um, and I hope that some of these that are easy and cost-effective to implement would be a fairly quick change. And um, I would like to, um, if, if uh, we can maybe or help arrange an individual uh, meeting with committee member Toltzman about um, the preservation of native plants. So there was a comment on that where he expressed frustration and I would like to follow up on that. Thank you. Certainly. Was that a motion to approve? I move to approve. I, I wanted to make some comments of course. after questions. Why don't you second for I'll second discussion. it so that I may make a comment. Great work, really impressive layout of work that they're doing. Really impressive. And I just uh, thank you for that, and I know it's a good committee, so thank you for that. Any other comments? Let's vote. Motion passes five to zero. 
Thank you again. Um, item 2D, introduction of an ordinance to amend ordinance number 1389, revising sections of chapter 11 parks of the Palm Desert Municipal Code and adopting a new administrative policy and revisions to the Portola Community Center facility use documents consistent with the ordinance revisions. Welcome, Ms. Muir, and again, congratulations for more excellent work. Thank you very much, Mayor Kelly and City Council. Um, you have before you an amendment to Title 11 of the Municipal Code dealing with parks and a resolution to adopt an administrative policy for the use of city-owned facilities, um, as well as some changes to forms for use of the Portola Community Center. Um, the ordinance changes and new administrative policy were initiated after staff received direction from the council last year uh, following a presentation by the assistant city mayor at the time uh, in April. And um, there was a need to, then to clarify some of the policies on park use. Uh, the changes are outlined in the staff report, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Any questions? Do we have a motion to approve? Move uh, agenda item as presented. I'll second that. Let's vote. Motion passes five to zero. Thank you, Thank you so much. That brings us to introduction of an ordinance amending chapter 11.01 of the Palm Desert Municipal Code prohibiting my or balloon use in Palm Desert Parks and making a finding of exemption under CEQA. This is also coming back to us upon our direction, so we better not change our mind. Ms. <laughs> Lawrence. Good afternoon, Honorable Mayor, members of the City Council. I'm Amy Lawrence, Deputy Director of Economic Development. And as the Mayor noted, this is a request to adopt an ordinance banning Mylar balloons from Palm Desert Parks. Uh, this ordinance was requested by the City Council at the meeting on August, on April 13th, 2023. And as noted in the report, if adopted, the Coachella Valley Association of Governments indicated that they would inform both their Public Safety Committee and the Energy and Environmental Resources Committee to see if they would relook at um, the potential of a regional approach to Mylar balloons. Um, with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. We had previously suggested that this would be the appropriate starting point. Uh, to help educate folks about the hazards of their use. So, any questions? Here to make a motion. No. Okay. I motion to staff approve. recommendation. Is there a second? I will second. Let's vote. Motion passes four to one with Councilmember Nastandi voting no. And item F, request for direction on potential use of recycle fund monies for residential solid waste and recycling rate adjustment. Um, you get to retain the podium. And I gather this is coming back to us because the idea was floated a while back, uh, but staff's recommendation is that we retain these funds for other potential 
Yes, I will go ahead and provide that in my report for you right now. I do have a PowerPoint available. So yes, as the mayor stated, this is a request for direction on potential use for recycle fund monies for the fiscal year 23-24 residential solid waste and recycling service rates. Oops, sorry. Back to that one. So as for background, on August 26, 2021, during a study session um, to discuss solid waste and recycling contract negotiations on the topic of SB 1383, the City Council appointed two council members to serve on a subcommittee uh, to provide staff guidance during the contract negotiation process. And then on March 10th of 2022, the City Council um, approved an amended franchise agreement with Burtec, which included approval of an annual residential rate increase uh, scheduled through July 1st, 2025. And as Mayor Kelly um, mentioned at the meeting, it was suggested that the subcommittee, um, uh, by the subcommittee that the City Council later consider spending approximately $2 million to help uh, with the gradual increase to the uh, residential rate increases. So reflected on this slide, uh, are the uh, resident, residential rate increases um, going through July uh, 1st, 2025. So as you can see, the July 1st, 2023 residential rate increase is 471, and that is in the actual rate increase with CPI adjustment. And the next uh, two years are the um, rate increases. We don't know yet what those um, actual rate increases will be. We won't know what those are until a couple months before they go into effect because of the CPI. And then the listed rates are without the recycle fund offset. So these are the options for consideration that we um, had come up with for your consideration. Um, the first option um, in white, you'll see that that's no offset with a total increase of um, 471. Uh, the cost to the recycle fund would be zero. And then the second option in yellow is uh, by $1 per customer. And that would be a total increase of 371. The cost of the recycle fund for this fiscal year would be $360,000. And then the third option would be $1.50 per customer bringing the total increase to 321, and the cost of the recycle fund would be $540,000 this fiscal year, with your fourth option being $2 per customer, bringing the increase down to 271, and the total cost of the recycle fund would be $720,000. I wanted to talk a little bit about the cash flow analysis report that we provided. Um, if you look at that report, you'll see that the projected annual revenue is less than the projected expenditures anticipated to run the programs. Some of the programs that were required to run um, to fund include the household hazardous waste uh, facility operating costs, various consultant services, and several items related to SB 1383, such as contract administration for edible food recovery organizations, um, organics waste procurement, commercial enforcement, which is scheduled to begin in 2024, and consultants to assist with overall compliance. So given the significant reduction of this fund could result in having to use general fund monies for these mandated services, along with the fact that Palm Desert's residential rate is the lowest in the Coachella Valley, staff's respectful recommendation is to not utilize recycle fund monies to offset the rate increase 
And so to finalize my presentation, I'll leave you with a slide reflecting uh, the residential rate comparison from all nine cities in the Coachella Valley. And this reflects that Palm Desert's uh, rate, uh, even with the $4.71 proposed increase, is the lowest in the Coachella Valley. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. We also do have um, Mr. Mike Vito here from Burtec, and we also have uh, Haley Kunert from HFNH, our consultant, uh, available on Zoom. I wish everybody was still here to see this beautiful comparison. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so your recommendation is not to do an offset uh, because of the demands on that fund to make sure that we don't have to tap into the general fund. I. I'm concerned, my concern, my main concern is that we're just sort of easing into SB 1383. We have commercial enforcement to start looking at and uh, getting into in 2024. We also have to start working with the uh, edible food recovery organizations for tier two generators, which are the uh, restaurants, the large hotel facilities, the schools. And so we're working with Fine Food Bank on a contract for that. We still don't have a quote for that. Um, we don't know how much all of this is going to end up costing us, and we also don't know in the new years to come what other, you know, unfunded mandates are going to be coming down the pike. So I really do feel it would be better to be conservative with, the, the, with this fund. Um, we're also looking at potentially uh, hiring a recycling coordinator using these funds, given the administrative work that it's going to take uh, for this program. All right, it's, yes, Councilmember I just want to be absolutely clear. The 1984 is inclusive of the, it was a four, I'm sorry, I flipped off that page, $4.71. Yes. yes, that's inclusive. So it's inclusive. Okay, yes. thank you. Mm -hmm. So who would like to move staff's recommendation? I move I to approve. Like, oh, well, then I'll second that. Let's vote. Motion passes five to zero. And we have no public hearing items this evening, so we will be adjourned. Oh, except those members of the public who stay daily, and you get an extra minute if you ever want to speak.